morning. We are going to be delving into God's Word this morning, and I'm kicking off our new series on leadership. Why leadership? Because it's something important that we all need to learn about. Uh, why leadership? Because uh, if you don't learn what it means to lead your life, Yeah, you're going to be living a terrible life. So as we look at our series this morning on leadership, I have a question to ask you. And I want you to think quickly. And I want you to have the answer on the tip of your tongue. Who leads you? Who leads you? Really? Wow, amazing, great. Holy Spirit, any other answers? Your mind, okay. Jesus Christ leads you, amazing. Amazing, that's great. Isn't that great? All of you are so deeply spiritual and rooted in your relationship with God. You have the God of this heaven and earth leading you. That's amazing. But let me give you a wake up call. God expects you to lead yourself. You see, we are not puppets on a string. We are not automated robots that God sets into action, pre-programs and pre-plans our life and says, off you go, now do what you're supposed to do. One of the things that God has given us is will. What is it? The will, the ability to make choices. To take decisions, good or bad, wise or foolish. He has given us that ability. And if we don't understand that in the context of the leadership of our lives, what happens is somebody else begins to dictate and lead our lives and very often in a direction that we do not want to go. Now all of you very kindly, because you're sitting in church, said, who leads you? You said, Jesus, my Holy Spirit, whatever. And perhaps you really genuinely mean that, and that is what you believe. But I want to remind you that beyond that belief, which is a very comforting belief that, oh God leads me. If you were truly honest with yourself, you are leading yourself. Now the Bible reminds us, what does it say in the book of Jeremiah, verse 17, verse 9? The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? In other words, when he's talking about the heart, he's talking about the heart, the mind, the behavior of man is deceitful. And so whilst we kind of appease ourselves to saying that God leads us and perhaps that is what you know, the, the tick box answer should be. In reality, there are many different things that influence you and lead your life in directions very often that you don't want to go to. And so how do we living in this world come to a place in our life where our lives are led in a way that God wants us to lead our lives? How can we develop traits of godly leadership in our lives that enables us to live our lives successfully. Last month we looked at how we need to know who we are, identify our 
understand our identity and live our lives with purpose. And I'm building on the teaching of the last of last month. And if we're going to live our lives with purpose, then we need to know how to lead our lives. John Maxwell says, one of my mentors, one of uh, my favorite Guruji, um, uh, not Guruji, one of my favorite gurus, leadership gurus, he says, everything rises and falls on leadership. So your success in your life is dependent on who? On how you lead your life. If you lead your life in keeping with God's will and purposes for your life, no matter how challenging or difficult it may seem, you are allowing yourself to be aligned with God's purposes and will, and therefore you can sit down and say, God is leading me. But God never leads you against your will. God never coerces you, forces you, or puts you in situations where you have to say, oh God, I'm going to give up, I'm going to give up. I, I know that when we use the word surrender in, in the faith, or in our Christian faith, what we are really seeing is that we willingly choose. What is it? I willingly choose to surrender my will to something more supreme, greater, the will of God. And when I do that, I connect supernaturally with everything that is in heaven that will be established here on earth. But when I don't surrender my will to the alignment and to the heavenly will of God, I am leading my own life in a way that is not in keeping with the aligned will and purposes of God. And this is the big conundrum, the big problem, the great mystery that we need to learn to solve in our everyday living. Choosing to live our lives in keeping with God's will, understanding God's word, and living God's way. Amen? And I'm going to give you seven traits of a godly leader. The marks, seven marks that distinguish any leader from a godly leader. Whenever I teach on leadership, and when I do so at Bible schools, I've often told Bible college students, I believe Mahatma Gandhi was a great leader. Everybody says, yes, 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 Mahatma Gandhi, great leader. I said, do you believe uh, Mother Teresa was a good leader? Yes, 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 Mother Teresa was a good leader. Do you believe some other great leader was a great leader? Yeah, yeah, he was a great leader. I believe also that Hitler was a great leader. No, 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 can't be, can't be. He was a horrible man. Now look at what he did. You see, leadership in its broadest term is about the ability to influence something in a direction that it needs to go. What is it? The ability to influence somebody in the direction that they need to go. John Maxwell again says leadership is influence. So who is influencing you? What is influencing you? That is who or what is truly leading you. And for those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
who profess and proclaim that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Our lives must represent the will of God, the word of God, and the ways of God. So seven traits of a godly leader. The first one, a godly leader is accountable. Everybody say accountable. What is the importance of accountability? We believe very often that we can live our lives independent of one another. We believe that we can live our lives alone. Now there is something about a leader. There are times where when you are leading in, or have any responsibility as a leader, you begin to push the boundaries. You pioneer. You do things that nobody else has done perhaps. But remember that accountability is at the core of godly leadership. What does it mean to be accountable? It means that I as an individual am, am answerable to someone. Isn't that right, darling? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, said my wife. And in our life, we are answerable to many different people in many different spheres and circles of our life. You are answerable to your boss, which is why he can ask you or she can ask you. Why were you late today? I'm docking your pay this month because you had three late days or whatever it is. Where is that project you were supposed to complete? That means you are accountable, right? And isn't it amazing how as individuals we are so accountable sometimes at our place of work. Why? Because we know the outcome of inaccountability is less in our bank account at the end of the month or perhaps no career prospects. And so we work very hard to be, please your boss. Yes, boss. Yes, boss. Yes, boss. Yes, boss. And you know, it's a godly thing to do that. But I want you to step back and ask yourself the question, when I'm not at work, is my life, who am I accountable to? Am I a lone ranger? Do I just do what I want when I want Because of our ability to deceive ourselves into believing lies, we must remain accountable not only to God, but also to people around us. Now, for some reason, accountability seems to be a bad word to most people because most people, most human beings, don't want to be answerable to anyone. Which is why sometimes you hold somebody accountable and they wave you goodbye. I've learned the power of accountability. I've learned the blessing of accountability. Do I always like it? No. Do I know I need it? Yes. Will I make sure it is always there in our life? Most certainly. Because we were never called to live in isolation. Romans chapter 14 verse 12 says, So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So our primary accountability is to God. Now, it's very easy like for us, oh, I'm accountable to God. Really, you're accountable to God. Can you tell me what you were doing last night? Who are you to ask? 
I'm accountable to God. It's very easy sometimes for us to fool ourselves to believe that we are accountable to God because we can live foolishly and present ourselves in a way that is completely like we're living in another world. If you are accountable to God, let me tell you, you will love accountability to people. Anyone who says, I'm accountable to God, but I'm not accountable to you, I know they are not accountable to God. Why? Because Jesus made himself accountable to his Father when he was here on earth. Jesus, being God, considered himself nothing, made himself nothing to the point of death. Even Jesus, here on earth, the Son of God, who had all the power, the acumen and the nature and characteristics of God, said, I will do nothing unless my father instructs me. Isn't that amazing? So our life of accountability to God is always expressed in our accountability to one another. So remember, don't ever tell me, Ian, I'm accountable to God, but not to you, or not to my boss, or not to the government, or not. Whoa, you're missing a big chunk of what it means to be accountable. Accountability, I said, is a good thing. It is something that keeps us safe. Now, please be wise in who you are accountable to. That's where you need to use wisdom. That's where you need to use some buddhiman, akkal. If you make yourself accountable to rascals, God help you. If you align yourself with people whose lives are compromised, you will just end up like them. Don't say, look what God did to me. I was just simply following him. He told me to be accountable. So I was accountable to him. No, it's who you are accountable to. Find godly people. Find people may not be godly, but live moral lives. If it's in places of work, you won't always find Christians in a place of work. But people who live their lives by certain ethics and standards. And how do I know if somebody's living a life by a certain ethical standard? I don't listen to what people say. I look for what they If you learn that, you know who you can trust in life. You know who you can be accountable to in life. How do they live their life? How do they treat their spouse? How do they treat a poor beggar on the street? How do they treat a servant, a maid? That tells you what's on the inside. How do they treat the poorest of the poor? That tells you what they really believe. Amen. And so if you're going to make yourself accountable, number one, find godly people. This church is full of God, good, godly people. As a congregation, as members of this church, of this community, you are accountable to me. Now some of you will say, whether you like it or not, I can't force that accountability from you, but I expect it. I don't demand it, but I have an expectation from you. And you know what? You have a right 
to have an expectation of accountability from me. Because we are accountable to one another. I might have the responsibility, Nirvian had the responsibility of leadership, of being the lead pastors, but that doesn't make us unaccountable to somebody else and to you. Here in our church, we don't just have a church and we are not the Pope of this church. All decisions begin and end with us. No, we take leadership. We are confident in our leadership. But we have as a couple, as a ministry, we have three couples that our lives are accountable to. You don't see them often because they're not involved in the day-to-day life of the church. But one of them is our good friends, Ashish and Rekha Thomas, who are our accountability partners. Pastor Joseph and Naomi's mom, who are our accountability pastors. And Rick Zachary and his wife, who are our accountability pastors. Things that we do, plans that we have, visions that we have, things that we like to do. We make, ourse- we make ourselves accountable to them. Before we birthed life, not birth, before we started the church, the first thing we did was look for accountability partners. People that we said, we're going to be starting a ministry. Will you allow us to be accountable to you? Not just as a friend, but accountable. So I want you to know, if there ever there's anything good you want to celebrate about the church and you don't want to tell us for any reason, go tell our accountability partners how great things are going. Talk to them. If you have any concerns, you are free. Firstly, to raise it with us, but if you don't get anywhere with us, you are free to speak to any of our accountability partners because we have made ourselves and our ministry accountable to these people. Amen? As a ministry, we do not isolate and live our lives by ourselves. As a trust, we have an accountability. That accountability is our board. A small board, but it's a board that is responsible for the governance, which makes us accountable to our city. And so you see, accountability is key. So I want you to ask yourself the question, who am I accountable to? Now, there are different aspects of your life that you may be accountable to different people, right? But make sure you have somebody that you are accountable to. Somebody that you know can speak into your life and say to you something that you may not like and you'll still be friends at the end of the day. Somebody that you know you can trust, that you can confide in. I know many of you tell us things that we don't tell anybody else. We hold it, we take it to God, and that is it. That's where it rests. There is a confidence and a confidentiality that we hold. Because you trust us, you make yourselves accountable to us, and we likewise are accountable to you. Secondly, another hallmark of a godly leader is he is a responsible person. What is he? Or she is a responsible person. The difference between a child and a man is his willingness or her willingness to take personal responsibility for their actions. Are you the kind of person that says, it was not my fault? I didn't do anything. Nothing. It was her fault. Kasam, kasam, kasam. We've all been there, seen there, done that. If you have messed up, 
Put your hands up and say, you know what? I took a bad call. I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. Not just when everything is good. At your place of work, learn the power of responsibility. Learn the power. You might think, oh, those people, if you tell them the truth now, they, they will just like finish you. No, you live by a higher standard. Their standard is here. You go there. Amen. You say, yeah, they might finish me. Yeah, but I'm going to honor God. I'm going to live a life of responsibility. I am going to be responsible in my work. If I'm given a task, I will complete it. See it through to completion. If I am given responsibility for something, I will hold it with great favor as though it was my own, even though I don't own it. And I will do whatever I do well to the best of my ability. Amen. I will give not just 10, 20%, but 100% to everything that I do. Amen. A responsible person. When I become a man, I put away, I put the ways of childhood behind me. That's from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 11. There was a time where I could blame everybody else for everything I did. But there comes a time where you and I have to take responsibility for our actions and say, God, sorry, I messed up, but I'm willing to change. To your friend, to your partner, to your child, to your father, to your mother. You know, I'm sorry I messed up, but I'm willing to change. Responsibility empowers you to succeed. When you take hold of responsibility in your life, whatever it is. And here's the thing. Most of us say, oh, if I'm doing something really big, no, you can really rely on me. No. You teach yourself the discipline of responsibility by being responsible with little things. A lot of the leadership people, I was watching this guy on Instagram. He said, if you want to be successful in your life, do the first most important task. When you wake up, make your own bed. That's taking responsibility for the mess you made. Having laid up in bed all night. I thank God for my mom and dad that taught me that. I had to make my own bed. Every day I hated it. But I couldn't leave the house without making it. Do you know what that taught me? Responsibility. It taught me responsibility. So you and I have got to be willing to do that. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, 10, For we are his workmanship created in Jesus Christ for good works, with God, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there are good works that God has entrusted us to achieve and to do and accomplish. And so we've got to be responsible and take hold and understand what those good works are and complete them. The third thing of a, the third mark of a godly leader is faithful. It ties in very closely with responsibility. I love what Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21 says. It says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. You know, there's a simple principle here. When you are faithful with little, people will trust you with more. God will bless you with more. If you want to have more finances, 
If you want to have a better job, be faithful in the job that God has given you now. Don't look at it and say, God, what a horrible job. Look and say, God, it's difficult. But I thank you for the job that you have given me. I will work faithfully. If you're in school studying, thank God for the people that teach you. Be faithful in your, in your learning. And when you come through, you will be the rewarder of your faithfulness. See, faithfulness benefits you. But it blesses the person or the people that you are also being faithful to. It's a no-brainer. It's a win-win situation. Isn't that amazing? So if I'm faithful in my place of work, I will be blessed. And because I'm faithful, my workplace is blessed. When I'm faithful to the church and the responsibilities I have within the ministry of God, it's not just about me, but more importantly, the kingdom of God is relying on. Whoa, everyone's losing eye contact with me. The kingdom of God is relying on you. Which is why if we are not faithful with the things that God has entrusted us with, you might think it's okay. I mean, it doesn't really matter. I mean, who cares? But you know what? The kingdom of God suffers. The purposes of God are delayed. The outcomes that God wanted can be held up. Now God is God and if you don't do it, he will find somebody else. He will find somebody else. But you just missed out on pleasing your father. You just missed out on arriving at heaven and all of heaven saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Rather than you walking into heaven and saying, hello, I'm just coming in. I'm just coming in. Because you're so bashful about all the things you know you did not do. You know when you're late at work, you never walk into work like a king, do you? You don't walk into work like, hey, I'm at work. When you're late, it's like, oh, I'm at work, I'm at work. Because you are shameful for being late. You don't walk in like, hey, I'm, I'm late at work. No, you... You'd like your boss not to see you, like none, you'd like, like to appear at your desk like you were over. Were you always there? Yeah, I was always there. I was always there. Some of us want to get into heaven like that. But you know what? God watches everything we do, He makes a record. Whoa, there's a record up in heaven? Yes, there is. Of every good thing that you do. And every crazy bad thing that you do, God's keeping a record. And on judgment day, he's going to say, can I say he's my good and faithful servant? How would you like to make your entrance into heaven? The finest suit, pray they bury you well. <laughs> when you wake up on resurrection day, your finest suit, you walk into heaven and it's like, God, here I am. Blinged up. Here I am, God. This is me, your good and faithful servant. I live my life to the best of my ability to please you, to help your kingdom be established, to do whatever I could to be God-like in the life that you gave me because I'm going to spend the rest of eternity with you. How do you want to make your entrance in heaven? Do you want to just skivvy in 
or walking with splendor as a son and a daughter. I think it's the latter. Amen. Let's be confident in being faithful. A fourth hallmark of a godly leader is one who is honorable and honoring. The two go together. A good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. I love my perfume. I'm crazy about always smelling good. Because I know how terrible it is when people smell bad. But your reputation is not available in a bottle. Your reputation is what you have established by how you have lived every day of your life. It's been established not by your mom and dad, your khandan, your izzat, or wherever you came from. It has been established by the decisions that you have taken, your interactions with people in every strata of society. That is what establishes your reputation. And your reputation is one of the most costly things that you have. We do risk assessment as an organization. And one of the greatest risks is reputational risk. Why? Because it's hard to buy back. The moment people stop believing in you, the moment people say he or she is not trustworthy, you can't rely on them, they never turn up, you can't give them, the moment that is said about you, people are only saying it because that is how you have behaved. But you know what? There's hope in the kingdom. We can restore our reputation no matter what our past has been like. God draws a line in the sand and says, you are now my child. You have been redeemed by me. And we can begin to live our lives honorably as children of God. Amen. No matter how bad our reputation was before, when you become a believer, in being a believer, if you've messed up, you can come back to God and say, God, Allow me to live my life well again, honorably. Let me be known as somebody that is trustworthy. We can turn our reputation around by living our lives in a godly way. A reputation is built over time as others evaluate your life choices and determine who we are based on how we behave. Powerful, isn't it? And I want us here at Life to be people of good reputation. Every interaction with any person at life, wherever you are, it's got to be high standard. I mean, there are times I lose my cool driving in the car. But I make sure I keep my reputation right. Why? Because next Sunday, someone could walk through that door. And it could have been someone who was in that car that cut me up. Now that's not why I'm doing it. But that is the outcome of not behaving right. Right? And so for us, let our behavior, even in our challenging circumstances, be as godly as it can be. The fifth thing of a godly leader is they are prayerful. It, the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with, says James in James chapter 5, 16. 
you know, I'm tired of the quality and uh, attitude of prayer in the church. They believe the bigger prayer meeting they go to, the more powerful the prayer is. The more we shout and scream in tongues and whatever else, you know, we think we've prayed. You've just screamed and shouted in tongues. That's all you've done. You know, prayer is about righteous living. Prayer is about living your life right. And out of that, when you pray, the Bible says, God hears. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? God hears the prayers of a righteous or a righteous woman. So quit shouting, all right, and start living right. And as you live your life right, you can talk to God and say, God, help me here. God, I need you to come through for me. The righteous man availeth much. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Amen. So I want us to assess our lives and make sure that our prayerfulness is in the right direction with the right attitude. The sixth attribute of a trust of a godly uh, leader is that they are trustworthy. All of us want people that we can trust in. The chair you sit on, you sit on every Sunday because you trust the makers of that chair. In our lives, are you a trustworthy person? Can people rely on your word? Can people rely on what you said and what you're going to do and deliver? And if you can't, do you communicate? Into, now just take a little pause here. I'm going to give you a WhatsApp whoopee, all right? It really bothers me that we have lost the etiquette of ethical communication. Ethical communication. Why? Because we communicate digitally so much nowadays, right? When somebody takes time to send you a WhatsApp, I believe it is my responsibility to respond to that WhatsApp. It's like all of us being in a room and you say, hi, and you look right through me like, who? That's what we do when we don't respond to WhatsApp messages. You might think, oh, Respond, please. Now I'm not saying sit there like <coughs> respond, but respond with a decent time frame. If you see the message, when you have time, respond. If you're not going to respond right away, say, hey, I'll get back to you tomorrow. Keep your word. But respond. It is so rude, especially for us as believers, to one another to not respond. When somebody reaches out to you. And you know what's even worse? Whenever my leader asked me to do anything, I never kept him waiting more than 15 to 20 minutes with a response. Whoever that leader has been in my life, my work leaders, my school leaders, my church leaders, always set my leaders, my parents, 
anyone who was above me that I was accountable to, they, I honored them with a quick response. I want us at life to have that WhatsApp etiquette, communication etiquette, not just WhatsApp, communication etiquette. I will always respond. And let them know that you have received something, that you will get back to them, or that this is what they need, or I will do my best to get back to you. Can we agree to do that? Amen. Because when we do, what it is saying is I honor you. I respect you. I trust you. And you know that I can be trusted too in my communication. End of WhatsApp will be. Trustworthiness is key. And it is established in the little things that we do. Do you know how an ant steals sugar from your jar? He doesn't have the capacity to drop the whole jar down and empty it and take it home. He takes one grain at a time. And then he calls his friends. Hey, there's sugar. There's sugar here, mate. Come on. They haven't locked the jar. There's sugar for all of us. One grain at a time, they take that sugar. And all of a sudden you come and think, where has my sugar gone? It's the little things that amount to much. Amen. Can we be trustworthy? And lastly, I'm going to close with a spirit of generosity. As godly leaders, we must have a spirit of generosity. Now, all of us have different personalities, all right? All of us. Some of us are just generally generous. Some of us are just a little bit more conjuicy than the other. Right? You'd agree that, right? Yeah? Because our personalities are different. And so I'm not saying you've got to be this perfect person. But I'm saying whatever your personality is, be generous. Be willing to give a little more than you'd like to. Amen? Alright? The generous will themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor. And we have many degrees of poverty. Not just food, but generous in our time. Generous in our attitude. Generous in our acceptance of one another. Generous financially. Generous in so many different ways. When you are generous, the Bible says, you will be blessed. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord Jesus, as we enter into this week, as we want to become the great leaders that you call each one of us to be. I thank you this room here today is filled with men and women that are seeking to live their lives in keeping with your godly expectations. Lord, I know each one of them are leaders that you have deposited divinely great things into their lives. I pray through this month, Lord, that we will all rise to a new level of leadership and that we would step up and step into the good things that you have for us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning as we come to communion, you are enjoying the benefit of communion because Jesus did the greatest thing no man was prepared or could ever do is he laid his life down and became the sacrifice for us all so that we could receive God's love 
He took upon himself, the Bible says, all our wickedness. All our wickedness, no matter how horrible you've been. All our sin. Jesus took it upon himself so as we can come clean before God. Amen. That was an act of leadership. This morning as you come to the communion table, what's your act of leadership going to be? Are you going to surrender to God and say, God, I want to live my life completely sold out for you. I want to dedicate my life to living well. I want to be that person that when I reach the pearly gates of heaven, I'm dressed well and I'm swinging it through into heaven because I'm so excited because you're going to say to me, well done, my good and faithful servant.